Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey, Patch. How's it going today? Good, man. I'm excited to get into the second episode of Stranger Things Season 1. Loved the first episode. It was a great conversation to kick us off. And uh, I will tell you, uh, I mentioned this on the last episode that I was going to watch the second episode right after we recorded. I was so darn tired. I fell asleep and I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. (laughs) I've got to be fully awake, fully aware to really enjoy this. So um, I did. I did watch it for this episode. So we're not just going in blind. Like, that's good. That sounds good. I even made notes just to prove myself. Oh man! Well, this episode is called. It's chapter two, as you mentioned last uh, last episode. These are chaptered, and this is called the Weirdo on Maple Street. And it got me curious about what weirdo we're talking about here. So maybe we find out, maybe we don't. <laughs> Here's the quick synopsis: Mike hides the mysterious girl in his house. Joyce gets a strange phone call, and there it is. I'm intrigued. <laughs> that is the uh, the short, short, short synopsis. There's yeah. <laughs> there are longer ones. That's a spoiler-free version. Right yeah, there. it doesn't give away much. No, I think it gives away the first two minutes, right? <laughs> Joyce gets a strange phone call. I mean, that it doesn't get it doesn't grab you and make you want to watch it. <laughs> so like, hopefully, oh my gosh, chapter two, Joyce gets a strange phone call. What could it be? Hopefully, people aren't depending on these these synopsises to get them in. <laughs> I'm just pulling but, these from IMDb, so they may just I know, be fine I know. at this point. But this was also. Uh, this was also ed- uh, written and directed again by the Duffer Brothers, the creators of the of the of the series. So it's a, it's essentially a continuation, almost like a two part, you know, pilot, if you yeah. will. It just it just picks up where the first episode left off, and so it it sort of has the, the exact same feel as the first ep- episode in that sense. You know, now that you say that, it does feel like a two parter pilot at that point, and. Um... And it, it really does sort of flesh out some of the things that we got started with in the first episode. It definitely leaves you asking more questions, which I will have several of these by yeah. episodes end. So just be ready. But um, it starts as it normally does with a cold open, and then it moves into the the opening credits. Let me just throw some love at those opening credits. We talked a little bit about the the score, that 80 synth thing, but I noticed this time around that the font, the type of red that's being used is very much a throwback to 1980s horror as yeah. the letters come at you and they reveal the, the next scene. It definitely felt like an, like um, maybe an edition of Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. And then what I noticed was that before the card comes at you, before the title card comes at you, there's a graininess to yeah. the background i don't know what that's it's like film a film grain i think is what it's called yeah they they probably they added a lot of film noise film you know and grain to really give it sort of like you're watching an old you know 16 millimeter horror movie perhaps from the yeah the 70s. that's kind of how it felt it felt yeah like yeah. a like a uh, like a grindhouse film exactly more sophisticated than a exactly grindhouse film. <laughs> yeah and it's interesting you mentioned that opening because there's a few things that i noticed and learned about this opening well first it reminds me a lot of the 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 opening title sequence to the original terminator in 1984 okay yeah you're kind of seeing the close-up letters moving kind of across each other and then as the credits finish it kind of pulls out and you see the whole word the terminator so i feel like that could have been an influence for this if you haven't seen the original 1984 terminator in a long time check out that opening title sequence it's really it's especially for the time it was really uh, amazing and had a great great score by brad fidel just really cool opening uh but also i learned in some doing some additional research that the title for the show stranger things again we talked last time about it originally being called montauk before netflix bought it and kind of reworked it a bit the title the Duffer Brothers came up with, Stranger Things, they felt sounded very reminiscent of the Stephen King book and movie Needful Things. And 
as you mentioned, the horror movies of the eighties, they all, they also lifted the same typeface I was from say some of those book covers. Much. Yeah. <laughs> so if you awesome. look at the Needful Things book cover, I believe, and the font that that's used, it it's very similar to the Stranger Things font. And probably for anyone that was born in the last twenty years, they've never heard of Needful Things or some of these Stephen King stories. But for people of the eighties, those uh, feelings and that nostalgia kind of rush back when you see certain certain typefaces like that. You just you know you've seen them somewhere, but you're not quite sure where, and then you you do a little digging. You're like, oh, look at that. I'd be curious so. to talk to someone who was born after 2000, yeah. watching the series and finding out not necessarily if they honed in on those things, but if they enjoyed them, like they if, right. if they were aesthetically pleasing. Because it's one thing to be nostalgic and kind of go, oh wow, that's cool. Which yeah. I mean, I felt that way. Yeah, but at the same time. Does it work for a new audience? Does it feel fresh? Does it feel like it's connected to right. the overall story? I mean, based on the success of the show so far, it feels like it's working, whether they're liking it for the same reasons we're liking it or completely different reasons, who knows? But yeah, I think every generation is going to get a little something different out of a show like this. I want to talk a little bit about the monster because All right. in two episodes, I've seen, I think four versions of a monster. Now it has not been confirmed that there's only one. We sort of, I'm making the assumption that there's one. Okay. So we get the beginning of episode one where we don't see it and it grabs that scientist guy. And then right. we get slender man, which freaked me the crap out when I saw that. <laughs> and then yeah. we get a uh, ooey gooey that, that Brenner and his gang find. I don't think that was the monster. I think it was monster remnants. Yeah. And then in this episode, we get Barb who gets, I'm putting eaten in, in air quotes because okay. I, yeah. I don't know what happened. Like what we see is this like tentacle type thing and then she's gone. So I'm not going to assume anything. I will make a presumption and say that she was eaten or swallowed or something. Yeah. But then as a bonus, we get what I think is the the house. So the house has become something very interesting to me in yeah. that- we have, I'm going to go that throwback to Poltergeist, that scene where Joyce is, her second phone has blown up and, you know, yeah. wow. I mean, poor Joyce. She just goes through so many phones. Yeah. But the stereo in, I think it's Jonathan's room is going off and then the light flickering, the things that we saw in the first episode are happening. And then the house seems to just kind of come alive with electricity and she runs out. She gets in her car. I love the fact that she doesn't leave, that she walks very emphatically back into the house and then everything shuts off. Very yeah. reminiscent of Poltergeist. Yeah, especially when the wall starts pushing outwards. Yes. I mean, it's one thing to be seeing flickering lights and strange phone calls, but when the wall next to you starts like morphing <laughs> towards <laughs> you, that's when you run. Yeah. So we've gotten these iterations of a creature that maybe lives in the electricity moves around quite a bit. And so I'm, I'm curious, not really to get you to answer the question, Sure, yeah. but I'm just curious right now of does this monster take on various forms? How is it connected to the different kind of versions of itself? If, I mean, or do we have five different monsters? Is this like a community of monsters that are, right. that are just sort of, all right, you know, Wood Slender Man's going to be hanging out there, scaring the crap out of people, and then you got you got Tentacle person who's like playing lifeguard for you know kids that are not playing safe by the pool. I, I don't know, right. but I, I know that I like I like the design. I like the ambiguity of it all mm -hmm. because the episode is so packed with a lot of that, and I I'll just say both episodes are packed with a lot of that. That you're just sort of putting the pieces together, trying to play TV detective, and it really creates a a solid mystery about this entity that yeah. we don't know a lot about and you know the only thing i know for sure is that people disappear when it's around <laughs> when right they're, they're right. swallowed or they just disappear because of an electric like shock or something but it's really really cool yeah and those are all good theories and i will without giving anything away just say that a lot of movie <laughs> A lot of movies that I'm sure you and I have seen that have monsters, they often do 
come in multiple forms or may have different stages of development or may change their form, right? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you a couple options here. Okay. Not okay. giving anything away, but you are on to something. And I will also say that your question about the electricity is very relevant because okay. electricity clearly plays an important role. It's not a coincidence that the Hawkins Laboratory is part of the Department of Energy. I'll just say that. These are all things that they've, all clues that they've laid before us thus far in the first two episodes. So that's interesting. You, you don't often think about secret government labs being a part of the Department of Energy, right? You think, oh, it's CIA or it's, you know, Air Force, it's military, right? This is not, energy doesn't seem that sort of conspiratorial. But if you think about it, a lot of strange things in sort of the conspiracy theory world do involve electricity, like the famous Philadelphia experiment uh, of yeah. the 1940s, where right. they basically were trying to cloak a battleship from radar and inadvertently caused it to kind of disappear from the harbor because they were elect they were basically wrapping the entire ship in like a electromagnetic coils or something. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff like that that has popped up in conspiracy theories over the last 75 years and it makes some sense that electricity has a role. There definitely appears to be a correlation between electricity, this monster, perhaps also Will, and maybe even Eleven. So those three characters, I think, were given clues that something happens. And we also saw in the very first episode that there are all types of strange electro electrical surges going on, power outages. So there's definitely something to this. And we're going to probably find out very soon what that all means. Yes, I'm excited. So you mentioned Eleven. This is definitely, we got more of her in, mm -hmm. in this episode. I like the way that she was sort of not only introduced, but then fleshed out. She's hanging out with, with Mike. I love, love their relationship in this episode, how he cares for, he's very gentle. He seems to be of the, of the three, he's probably the most rational. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if there's just history with that where he's just, he knows this world, like, okay, anything is possible. I play D and D and you know, I'm, I'm open to anything, but I love the way that he cares for her. I like the fact that he gets excited about really kind of showing her around the world that he knows he's made the assumption that she doesn't talk. Everything seems like a surprise to her. And so he walks her through the living room, showing her his fancy, what, 22 inch TV. Yeah. That's twice as big as their other one or something like that. Wow. Uh, I, think I mean, I'll have to say in 1983, that would be a pretty big TV. I, I don't think, I think we had a 20 inch even in the nineties. So People today don't know how good you have it with your right. 40, 50, 65 inch TVs. I mean, this is a 22 inch was flat a, screen LCD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this is CRT all the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pure tubes right there. Yeah. I think I saw an Atari sitting on top of the of the television as well. And then I think the the best moment of that scene for me was when he puts her in his dad's recliner and he says yeah. he sleeps here. And I was like, late, yes, yeah. yeah. That's... I, my dad had a recliner. Not like that, but he had a sleeping recliner and that was, yeah. I would sleep in it when I was a kid. Like when I wanted to sleep nice. in my parents' room, that was where it was. And I'm like, I'm going to curl up here in the recliner. I need a giant recliner so that I can curl up in it. I, just, I have I one that. in our living room. We have a reclining chair and I what? often fall asleep in it. Not, it's not like that. It's not a lazy boy, but it's, um, it's, I've had it for, I don't know, 15 years and still works, still pretty good shape. It's, you know, That's awesome. it's gotten a lot of use, but <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, there's something so relaxing about watching a movie in it or just dozing off in it. It's really, it's really comfortable. And yeah, uh, yeah it's fun because that scene, I think might be the first time we get a, a bit of a, a smile and laugh out of, out of 11, who now has been nicknamed L. We can L, probably yeah. interchangeably refer to her as 11 or L. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a really fun uh, scene. And we, I mean, he shows her some of his Star Wars toys like Yoda and which is kind of a little bit of a, a nod to E.T. again. I feel like when, you know, Elliot is playing with his Star Wars action figures, they they seem to have an instant connection here. And I like that he talks about he describes what the force is to L, how he can move things with his mind. And I'm just like, well, there you go. That's what uh, that's what L can do, too. So, yeah, it's a really fun connection and relationship that they're starting to establish there. 
Yeah, and even later on when the when the other two come in uh, at the moment where was it Dustin or Lucas? I think it's Lucas that says, "I'm going to go call my mom." Yeah, and she shuts the door with her mind, and then and locks it. Yeah. Locks it, and then you see her nosebleed, and she says, "No." Yeah. Prior to that, you know, they're freaking out because <laughs> she's not supposed to be there. What I think is great is that it's either in that scene or a scene later where they describe the idea of friendship. She goes, what's a friend? Yeah. And they're like, what are you kidding me? And immediately you have Mike come in and say, describe what a friend is. A friend is someone who you know keeps promises, who does this and does that and who always comes through. And I love that. I love that kid explanation. I love that he's completely like invested in the relationship yeah. with her, that he wants to protect her. And part of it, honestly, Adam, is because she recognized Will. And that's another yeah. mystery that, you know, we don't know. It's a question I have, you know, how does she know Will and the monster too? I mean, she, she brings out this real life. What is it? Dem- Demogorgon? Is that the yeah, right thing? In, in Dungeons and Dragons, there's a, uh, a creature called a Demogorgon that, right. And they have, you know, they have these little tokens that they use on their game board and L kind of grabs the Demogorgon, Demogorgon token and plants it down to kind of say, that's what, that's what Will is is hiding from or running for away from yeah. not to say that it looks exactly like that, but the idea being that it's some scary monster <laughs> that, <laughs> that you would not want to uh, be too close to. But right. yeah, that whole scene is really good too, because they really do. I, that's one of my favorite moments in the whole episode is when they're asked, they're trying, they're basically interrogating her like, come on, like, how do you know, Will, where is he? What's, what's going on? And she finally kind of sits down at their little game table where they play D and D and she looks at the board and she, you know, she recognizes again, somehow that the little wizard token was Will's token that he played the wizard. And they're like, how does she know this? You know? And, and so that, and then, they're like, well, where is he? Where? And she flips over the game board and on the, the underside, the black side is now facing upwards. She puts his token down and says, that's where he is. And that's just, it's just a really cool way to try to explain sort of a, a, a very probably for, for L something impossible for her to put into words, because how do you describe, especially if she's so limited, at least as far as we know, in her vocabulary and her ability to talk, so how how do you how do you describe where somebody is? But she does it in such an interesting way, and it and it makes sense. You're like, oh, okay. There's like another side to the world, perhaps that that he has somehow gone into. And okay, he's, so it's you know it's the backside of yeah. reality. I don't know. I mean, yeah. the, the, again, at this point, we don't really know much more about it other mm-hmm. than like if if the front, top of the board is our world. Mm-hmm what's underneath our world, right? Yeah. Or on the other side of our world or something, right? It's sort yeah. of a mystery, but but mm-hmm. that she's giving a hint that he's he's with us, but like not like not in our sort of plane perhaps. So yeah, so there's a, a really fun um moment there where we get her giving them some some hints, some clues, and then as you mentioned, she puts the demogorgon token down on the board to to in, so imply that he's in danger, you know, that there's something potentially after him. And somehow she knows. How does she know? That, that's, that's the question, right? She clearly yeah. has telepathic abilities. She clearly has other supernatural abilities. Does she sense something? Is she, has she been to this place? Has, yeah, that... <laughs> you know, these are all really valid questions that I think anyone watching for the first time is going to be asking themselves. And I think, the Duffer brothers want you asking these questions. They want you sort of creating your own theories. And mm-hmm. and I'll just say that not all of the answers are revealed. So there are, like any good show, there's going to be some uh, revelations and some that are, are left for uh, us to continue to ponder <laughs> going forward. Well, they're good questions to ask yeah. because they really open up a lot of good fan theories that you can just have a yeah. lot of fun with. You know, you look at the fact that she knows that Will is in this underworld or something and the demogorgon as we'll call him or the monster is with him and he's trying to run away again i'm I'm thinking i'm thinking carol ann in the light you know and that she's being chased by by dude so i I get that kind of flavor what what i'm wondering about is is she in contact with the monster is she connected with the monster is she connected with will you mentioned she has a limited vocabulary so she can't communicate 
if she is in contact or communicating with these two, she can't say those things because she has a limited vocabulary. Right. And it's interesting. There is one word she knows and that's Papa or daddy or whatever it was. Cause there's that Papa, one. Yeah. So it's that throwback scene to her being taken away and it's implied and maybe I'm just being too, uh, too conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but yeah. it's implied that Martin Brenner is her dad. I'm thinking or, or so. a father like figure, perhaps yes. somebody that helped to raise her for a big portion of her life, perhaps. I don't know yeah. for sure. Again, these, some of these questions are, are, are not necessarily fully answered and it's up to us to kind of yeah. take from it what we, what we want. But yes, yeah. she clearly refers to him as Papa, which is often a term. I mean, my daughter calls her grandfather Papa, but mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's a a term that I guess it's a paternal, use, it's a paternal, yeah, paternal term of endearment, perhaps. So yeah. Does she is she being punished in this scene because she's being kind of taken away by two kind of I don't know order orderlies in a laboratory and kind of locked into a a small room? Did she do something bad and she's just being punished? It doesn't look like Doctor Brenner is like mad at her per se. He just looks like he has to do whatever he's doing to her. Why? These are good questions, right? Why yeah, it, is he locking her away? I don't know. It's a very pensive face that he makes. Like yeah. he's not emotionally reacting, which I think is right. really interesting. So it makes me wonder, has she imprinted herself on him because it's the only person that she knows? Does, does he, is, if it's really his daughter or some right. relation, has she been experimented on to a point where she's just another lab rat i don't know it's just again right these yeah. are the these are the things that i think make the show so successful is you have all this stuff going in and you're like i know half this stuff's not going to be right but that's yeah. okay because that's okay. it's just it's just a lot of fun yeah or does he have abilities as well is he training her you know is if he passed down some of his telekinetic or telepathic abilities that he had i yeah these are all possible yeah, po all possibilities. I think, I, I think the only ability he has is breaking and entering and trespassing at this point. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he and his boys go over to the uh, to the buyer house and based off of yeah, their, they wait. Know, their, yeah, they wait until everyone's tap. gone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> their phone tap of, of Joyce's phone that they can't do that anymore. Why? Because she keeps blowing up phones or her son right. from behind the. <laughs> if we're behind the paywall watching these shows behind the paywall, she's behind. He's behind the actual wall. That's this right. Point, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. bad joke there. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but but that that's a good scene though because you do see Doctor Brenner again drawn to that shed at the back of the property where Will may have disappeared from, and he notices sort of some biological goo. I don't like know, residue, ma of some yeah, kind. material, yeah, something that, and he just what does he say? He says like interesting or fascinating. I can't remember what he says, but just he, it, this, he clearly knows what's going on to, to some extent. And he's just like one step behind it. It's it, I think we're kind of led to believe that he's either dealt with this before or to a lesser extent, perhaps, or he's aware of what's going on, but he's just, again, just a little bit behind like any good movie or show, you know, the, sure. the, the villain is always just one step behind the hero. If he's yeah. the villain at all, I don't know. I wonder if the shed is like a, an entry point for the monster coming from this uh, netherworld, netherworld yeah. or other world. If this is a sort of a, a passageway or a doorway into that, because clearly it's a hot spot for not only Will, who gets potentially abducted, but then Hopper goes in there and freaks out because right. of what he sees. And then you have Brenner, who actually looks at the same spot. I, he's I like don't drawn know. to it, too. Like he seems exactly. to go yeah. beeline for it. And, and he's also holding some kind of, you know, some equipment and some some meter. I don't know if it's like a, a PK meter, like in, uh, in oh, uh, EKG meter. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like going crazy, you know, in that space. So clearly, they have some type of equipment that can detect whatever is going on. Because of course that, they do, right? Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? You have a whatchamacallit and the thingamajig that yeah. take take random, you know, that detects readings. 
monsters and stuff. Monster goo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need but yeah, we get like we get a lot of little moments of like Brenner and his agents kind of tracking, you know, again trying to find Eleven, basically, and also whatever perhaps this monster is. They clearly know something else is running around because one of their scientists was killed, as you mentioned, in the very opening of the first episode. So they know something is is out there as well. And or are they the same thing? I don't know. Yeah. These are good questions. Yeah. <laughs> At this point I'm just gonna keep them yeah. separate because it makes my brain not hurt as yeah. much. One of the other things I wanted to point out was this uh expansion of Jonathan, the other son. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Byers. You find out a little bit more about him, his backstory. He loved his little brother. And and that scene in the first episode sort of gets amplified for me watching him in this episode because I love that flashback to his room. They're listening to, I think the clash. Yeah. He's exposing will to great rock and roll music. Um, I tell people all the time, I think I was born in the wrong decade because I love music from the sixties and seventies. It's just, uh, me too. It's, yeah. it's my jam, man. And um, it's neat to see how he is on his own personal mission, whether it's through guilt or whether it's through some other thing. And we find, we found out in episode one that, that he's a photographer this episode, we find out that he comes across as a little bit of a creeper with his photography. <laughs> and I legitimately was like, why is he taking pictures of this party and these people? And I think it's because he's got a little crush on Nancy and that's, well, that's okay. definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, his character is set up early to kind of fall into that stereotype of the, the outsider. In fact, that yeah. scene in the school where they're that group, you know, Nancy and her friends are sort of making fun of him. I love that she reaches out to him, extends that mm-hmm. olive branch, and she genuinely says, I'm sorry, what's happened to your brother? He's he's the outsider that you just want to avoid. But at the same time, when you find out more about him, that he's a photographer, that he loves his family and things like that. We also know that he's got a broken past with his dad. And that yeah. flashback also revealed that his dad and his mom were have been divorced for a while. And that his dad was sort of superficial when it came to trying to build relationships with, uh, with Will, for sure. I think Jonathan had sort of written him off already. And so this episode really rounds him out a little bit more. He's still kind of creepy. And I think it's because of the great look that he has that the, the costume folks have given him in terms yeah. of like his hair and sort of being disheveled, rightly so. But yeah, to the outsider, I'm watching him take pictures of, these kids at this party and i'm like i don't think will's there i don't think any clues are going to be there but i i get why you're doing it and hopefully those pictures don't show up later (laughs) yeah in his defense i will say that there's a quick moment where you do see him at the scene of the crime if you will where the bike was found when there's some you know police tape i think he went there he's kind of looking for any anything that may have been overlooked he's taking some pictures of the of the ground and he hears a scream right and so he follows the scream and it happens to be at steve harrington's parents house where there's a party going on and then he's like kind of yeah he gets a little stalkery at this point but i don't (laughs) think he he didn't set out to do that right no he he did i get it yeah he was there he was in the in the neighborhood (laughs) he's like well while i'm here i'll just be a stalker for a few minutes and (laughs) He said so casually, <laughs> but you know, I've got the a, film. I might as well he, use he's it. An artist, you know, these are very tasteful photographs of kids <laughs> shotgunning beer cans. <laughs> he's like, I've got to burn through like eighteen more exposures before I can get this developed. Let me just use it here. Yeah, that's exactly what was going through his head. No, it's not at all. No, it's a creeper. No, but I think anyway. you're right. He has a little bit of crush on Nancy. He probably yeah. has for a long time. And, you know, they're his younger brother and Nancy's younger brother are best friends. So they probably cross paths from time to time. And, yeah, he's just, you know, he's really at first just using his camera, I think, almost like binoculars, using the telephoto lens to kind of see where did that scream come from? Oh, and oh, there's Nancy. Oh, you know, I like her. And, you know, he takes a few shots. And unfortunately, he sees a little more than he should. He, He sees... Nancy and Steve kissing through his window, and that's uh, probably not something he wanted to see. And then he also sees Barb sitting 
who was very unhappy because she did not want to go to this party. She she's sitting on the diving board the and fifth she had wheel cut, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And she cut her hand on a with a knife trying to shotgun a beer can and the blood was dripping into the pool. And he actually takes a picture of her sitting there and then he like looks down at the camera and when he looks up she's gone. And as you mentioned, we see something. We see a flash of this monster a uh, sort of above her. You're kind of led to believe that maybe the blood that was dripping off her hand might have could have maybe attracted it or sort of the way sharks <laughs> are drawn to blood. Yeah. Perhaps there's yeah. uh whether there's a correlation or not, I don't know. But Jonathan did get perhaps the last photograph of Barb alive, which is interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. One thing I did notice in that moment was, and I know this is sound editing and, and just kind of part of the, the way in which you shoot a scene. There's no evidence of any kind of digestion, I guess you could say. What we saw, that yeah. tentacle big, like penta, penta face or whatever it was, where <laughs> it looks like a, a really bad Venus flytrap with like yeah. multiple things. We assumed that it kind of reached down and grabbed her, but there was like, it disappeared because right. he instantaneously was down and looked up and it was gone, but there was no, the diving board wasn't bouncing. No. That's what's interesting to me, Adam, is that- No screaming. I don't it, even think we heard a scream. No scream, no noise from the monster, except what we hear. Right. And so it makes me wonder, yes, if this is the same monster that we've been seeing going through the electricity that clearly he has it as whatever, maybe it's female. I don't know. Yeah. But clearly the monster has this ability to be stealth yes. and yeah. is sort of propelled by electricity because that scene ends and the episode ends with the lights coming back on the music coming back on and then we cut to black. So yeah, you know, these are all interesting clues that I'm just eating up. Cause I'm like, how is this working? And, you know what because as, as detectives i mean we, yeah. we are looking for an mo we are looking for like a a method of okay does this monster do the same thing every time well obviously not in two episodes that the disappearance of now barb along with will byers happened in different ways similarly to the guy at the opening scene he was picked up yeah or something but we never saw that monster so and where did he go, right? Was there, there was no bloody corpse left in the elevator. So again, what happened? Yeah. Are, are we sitting in like, like a waiting room, like in Beetlejuice for the recently deceased? Are they <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just waiting to start haunting people? Right. It's, <laughs> I mean, what is this? <laughs> well, and as you mentioned, this is now, to, this is the second disappearance. And Hopper also discovers Benny's dead body, de Benny's burgers, um, he he was discovered apparently the victim of suicide at least that's how it was staged right. but we we clearly know otherwise that that's that he was he was killed and you can tell that hopper knows he was friends with benny he knows that benny would not have killed himself you can just sense he's like because one of the deputies is like it looks like suicide he's like yeah it looks that way like he knows it's not and there's another good scene where i think they're standing over the quarry like that big cliff and he's really feeling kind of down because or even cursed if you will i think he says because they haven't had in this town of hawkins indiana uh a missing person or uh, a suicide in decades since like the the 20s or something so it's like for to have two things happen he he's clearly on he knows that there must be some connection i think at this point because nothing like this happens in their town <laughs> yeah well and, and that deputy makes mention of the fact that we we get a little little information that that hopper used to be a big city cop because yes. he says yeah you you must see this all the time in the big city he goes yeah but these are people i don't know and right. so we get a lot from that you know, set of dialogue that clearly this guy was friends with him and mm -hmm. that in the small town, you're building these relationships. So I'm, I'm kind of piecing all this stuff together and saying, Hopper's been around for a while. He's got history with different members of the town. In fact, Jonathan's dad makes mention of that when Jonathan goes to visit him. He says, is Hopper still sheriff or is he still policing? Yeah. And he makes some comment about his relation, you know, Hopper's relationship with Joyce. And I'm like, Okay, is was there some history there? What's going on with that? Yeah, it, it sounds like, based on everything we've been shown so far, that they all perhaps attended high school together in Hawkins, and at some point, Hopper left to be a cop in the big city. Something happened, or 
he decided he needed to come back to his hometown and because probably of his experience as a perhaps detective in, in a more metropolitan area, you know, he was given a chance to be the chief of police because he had, you know, clearly closed a lot more cases working in a bit in a major metropolitan area. But uh, and there's actually without giving anything away, there's a canon novel that follows Hopper's time as a police detective in New York oh, City. So if you ever if you ever decide you want to just learn a little bit more about Hopper's past without it actually having any impact on the show itself, just nice. digging into his character uh, th- that is out there. And it's part, okay. it's officially approved by Netflix and everything. Hmm. So yeah. near the end of the episode, Adam, there's a, there's a scene with, with Nancy and Steve. Nancy is clearly like, I'm ready to be deflowered. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Steve's not saying no. And they start making out. And then the scene cuts to a bed. And we think, I love, I love oh, the yes. cleverness of these cuts. And we're like, oh, is it the next day? And oh, it's not Steve and Nancy. It's Hopper and somebody. Did we get a name of this person? Her name is, is Sandra, but okay. we don't know who she is okay. or why she's there. I can safely say it appears to just be either a one night stand or maybe it's a girl that he's friendly with and occasionally hooks up with from time to time yeah. in the, in this, this small town. That's what happens, right? Sometimes yeah. you have some a friend with benefits, perhaps. But we yeah. don't really know who she is, and I don't think it matters, frankly. I don't think it has any bearing on the show other than just to show a little more of his personal life. Not only does he drink and smoke and pop pills, and but he also you know, sleeps around a little bit. You know, he's, he's a man of several vices. <laughs> yeah. But I think she serves as a sounding board for him because there's some, there's some good dialogue between the two. Yeah. I mean, that's what kind of got me thinking, is she significant is, I mean, I, she's not his wife, obviously, no. but maybe she's this comfortable kind of, I can call you up and have yeah. a nightcap with you. And then, you know, we can talk later if you want, because I thought once he was leaving the, the bed, I thought, Oh, this is probably just kind of a, I would say a hooker, but it was somebody who, clearly was like he met at a bar but then she starts talking to him and now they clearly know each other like I, right. I don't think that they're in love or anything but they have some type of familiar uh relationship that's all i can say you know they beyond... have an understanding is what yeah. They have. yeah and again hopper likes to just walk out in the freezing cold and look out over that lake by his property yeah he it doesn't look like a very pleasant place to live but no. <laughs> and it's clearly by the way i noticed in this episode as we learn that Joyce works in a like general store pharmacy. Type. It's a pharmacy. Yeah, yeah. Like a Walgreens or something. Yeah. Like a local, like mom and pop run mm-hmm. you know, store, which is also located right next to, I noticed a, a radio shack, which, you know, reminds oh. me of, of better times. Yes. I know. I, you know, I love radio shack. It had yeah. everything you thought yeah. it had everything. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so in that scene where you see her going in, this is where she gets her second phone and she has to ask for uh, two weeks advance. You you really get a sense of how desperate she is financially at this point, uh, which again picks up on a thread from the first episode where we see that she and Jonathan both have to work extra shifts just to make the money they need uh, to pay their bills. But you hear Christmas music over in the store oh, I noticed yeah. for the first time. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It must be almost Christmas time. Cause the first episode started, it was November something. So clearly, you know, Christmas season is, is fast approaching. And I didn't even pick up on that until this, this viewing. Oh man. Santa's reindeer are going to get eaten by a monster. <laughs> <or something>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like gremlins. Like why do they have to always put oh, my Christmas yeah. on, you know, in, in these, like, uh, as the setting or Die Hard, right? And there are these horrible events to take place. Tis but... the season to be scary at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that scene continues. She goes home and she plugs up the phone. I thought, from a technical standpoint, this was something that I wanted to, I wanted to point out. The, I think they're called jump cuts, where we have her putting the phone, and then it cuts, and then clearly she's moved. So I, I think that's all it is. But yeah, I, just... I like when those are used that way because it obviously it shows the passage of time over the course of several minutes but it it keeps it abbreviated keeps the scene active like that's a very mundane thing to do is to plug in your phone extend the power cord which nobody listening who is (laughs) under the age of 30 knows what that means at all (laughs) and then having to bring the chair 
as close to it as possible. So you can sit there and wait for your supernatural phone call from your son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what yeah. she does, she literally plants herself in a chair and the, with the phone on her lap, just sitting there waiting for another mysterious phone call. And uh, she does get another one in this episode, but as, as we mentioned earlier, which again, fries the phone. So yeah, these, these phones are not the best way to communicate apparently with this uh, other place. If you I'm going to theorize something right now okay. and All say right. that the science teacher's ham radio is going to come into play at some point. Oh. Just going to throw it out there. I don't want to see your reaction. I'm just, I'm with okay. my eyes closed. I'm going to say that. Okay. So. Well, and the science teacher made a somewhat important discovery in this episode because after they go to find Benny dead in the diner and Benny's burgers, there's like a huge search party now. I mean, this has obviously become a much bigger deal. There's now a murder <laughs> okay, and a missing by, child. By the yeah, by the end yeah. of this season, I think all of Indiana is going to be searching for yeah, virus. I mean, it just gets exactly. bigger every episode. <laughs> there were a ton more people out around the property of the diner, and you hear the science teacher call them over. And like near a drainage pipe, he finds a little piece of cloth which looks like it's from, you know, a gown or something. And oh, yeah. they follow the pipe and it runs right up to a barbed wire fence in front of the Hawkins laboratory. So now Hopper is starting to see potentially a connection between the missing child and or his friend's suicide. Like there's something going on here. And we find out that Hopper thinks it's possible that well there was a girl I'm sorry they don't know it's a girl they think it's a boy the when Hopper in Terry or in I guess interviews yeah interviews. one of the last people to see Benny alive he says that in the diner there was a, a little boy that was stealing food from his kitchen and that little boy was about the height of Will but had a shaved head so Hopper immediately thinks, well, could this little boy have been Will Byers if he if he had shaved his head? So now Hopper is under the assumption that Will could be out there or somebody his age and size. And it kind of reinvigorates, I think, his his investigation, because anytime there's a missing kid or a missing person, the longer you go without finding anything any or anyone, the the chances diminish drastically, right? Of of, yeah. of anyone ever being found. So I think this was the first chance that there's like, wait, there's another mysterious young person with a shaved head who was in the diner where Benny committed suicide. All I mean, these are just things are not adding up for Hopper, and I think he's he's starting to be a good detective and put various pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. And he's opening up a little bit. Like, yeah. I don't know that we've been told yet or been shown yet, but clearly his investment in finding Will, he's he's got more of a personal connection to it. I think it has something to do with his daughter. In fact, Joyce at the very beginning, you know, he comes in and she's like, it's been six hours. And he's like, basically calm down. Okay. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing my job. And she goes something like, what if it was your daughter? And the look that he gives her, I think that there is something there. If I've missed something, let me know. But I think there, we don't know much about it. I know his, his daughter's dead. Yeah. And we don't know how she died. Maybe she was abducted. Maybe she was lost like this. But clearly this episode reveals that he's got more of an investment. And it's in addition to these details that sort of motivate him to get even more involved in the investigation. Right. And clearly, as we mentioned, there could be some type of high school relationship between Hopper and Joyce, as well as the ex-husband. And so, yeah. you know, like in any small town, you know everybody. I think they're because of whatever history they have had, as well as his own daughter's passing, however that happened, as you said we get the sense that he's taking he's taking this very seriously and more personally perhaps than than he might in a, anything else that comes up it's and not again, stolen gnomes in the garden is what yeah they say. he hasn't <laughs> had much else to deal with yeah. over the past i think they said four years was he yeah i think the chief so. there something like that yeah. so yeah this is clearly 
he's uh, doing dealing with a lot more in the past. Like tw- I think there's only been like 48 hours. Of, there's only been two days have passed, I believe. Yeah, it's it's not very episode. it's not very long. Yeah, I will say this: that interview with that guy um, struck me funny. I, I it I know it wasn't intent- this is just in my my dumb brain. <laughs> Uh, when he when he's trying to get him to connect the dots and really trying to say, oh, was it was it you know was it this kid right here? And he goes, oh no, that's Joyce's missing boy. And the way yeah. he said it, so matter of fact, like, oh yeah, he's missing too. That's not a big deal. Yeah, I know that's yeah. not what was like how it was supposed to be interpreted. But my you know my my childish brain was like, really, you don't care about this? <laughs> and it just it sounded funny to me. Yeah, it it, it is a little odd but it's also i think the whole everybody knows each other in a small town like oh i know i know who that is that's joyce's little boy like he's the one that's missing and like like i'm not an idiot i know who i who i saw but again when a kid has that kind of 80s bowl haircut they suddenly shave that all off you would look pretty different you know and so i think that's what hopper's trying to get at it's like if if he had a buzz cut do you think it could be it could have been him and this this old old timer was kind of like well yeah i mean it it could be they're about the same they're about the right size same size same age so yeah so it's yeah, yeah there's a glimmer of hope perhaps but like why is will byer's head shaved all of a sudden you know these are <laughs> strange things but you know he has to he can't rule any of this out yeah i think it was the way he delivered that line yeah. that made me laugh because it made it sound like Oh yeah, kids get abducted all the time. That's Joyce Byers' kid who's yeah. abducted right. or who's who's lost. It's like welcome to welcome to Indiana, where yeah. you know crazy things, stranger things happen. <laughs> so, right. Well, I don't have anything else. Are there any other highlights that you wanted to talk through before we finish this up? The only thing that I noticed little details that I didn't really pick up on previously, but um, in this time in this viewing, I I was able to realize that. Over the louds, you know, that scene you were talking about earlier where uh, they're in the high school and Nancy goes over to Jonathan as he's putting up a flyer for Will you know, being missing. You hear over the loudspeaker, like the intercom for the school, that there's a like an, an assembly or, or a rally that evening at 8 p.m. out on the football field for Will's family, you know, and and later on and like that's it you just hear it over over the the loudspeaker you don't really think much of it but at the dinner scene later at uh, mike's house you see nancy making up a lie she's like i'm down yeah barb's gonna pick me up we're gonna go to that thing for will you know at the school and really she just wants to go to the uh to, to steve harrington's house for his party because his parents are out of town so like i didn't pick up on that the first time but it's nice that they do connect all the dots like that they give them all reasons to to do the things they're doing and uh, that's you know like back to the future i appreciate when all those little threads are are neatly tied up and all connected and i will say this um the dinner scenes with the wheeler family is two for two in terms of just being entertaining i thought (laughs) yeah um (laughs) my family's not that big but i imagine i would be like the dad in the first episode who's just like eating his chicken and it's like, like what I do, <laughs> yeah, what what I do, and he's the only one there. And I'm like, keep yeah. eating your chicken, dude. You didn't do anything yeah. wrong. <laughs> he's kind of so, a doofus, though. He's just he is. like he's, he's a goof. <laughs> he's totally like oblivious to whatever is happening with his kids, with his wife. <laughs> he's just like he's like he does his goes to his job, comes home, eats his dinner, falls asleep in his recliner, lazy boy, and that's you know <laughs> that's his life. <laughs> Oh like, gosh, it's yeah. it's such great little comic relief here and there. I just it I'm hoping we and, get and more it's of that. necessary. I think in a show like this where it's sure. you know a lot's going on. It's some heavy stuff, missing kids, all this. So yeah, you yeah. you need a little a little a little bit of levity. And yeah, that was such an awkward meal. Everything about it, you know, the kids were like not eating because what I think it was Dustin's like I had two bologna sandwiches for for lunch today. <laughs> I don't know why. I just did. <laughs> It seems so normal that they are over there for dinner. Like it, they do this a lot. Like she's like, yeah. oh yeah, you're going to invite your friends over. Well, we'll just set like three or four extra places because yeah. And that's a lot of food to make for your, it is. You know, your, your son's friends. So. Well, and 
I, I had a group of friends, as I think I mentioned previously, growing up, where there was one of our friends' houses, like they had, where it had a nice, fun basement where we could watch TV, play games, hang out. They had a ping pong table, and we all just hung out all the time there. So we happened to then often eat there as well. And so that makes perfect sense to me, at least in how I grew up in my small town, that you just kind of all gravitated towards the kid who had the best space to hang out in and since clearly they spend most of their time playing D D and reading comics they have that great basement downstairs and apparently the mother never comes down there because 11 basically set up camp down there <laughs> and <Right>. no one <laughs> noticed her <laughs> sleeping down there and eating food down there good old so, ego waffles love that yeah. waffles yeah that was a great little little product placement i used to love having eggos as a kid those were those were a big deal back in the they were the and 80s, they t- i remember they tasted good i enjoyed yeah. just eating you know warming them up eating them no no uh no syrup necessary just no. on the go breakfast right there it really was like a great thing you just grab and and run off to school with and just eat it yeah they were they were good that little moment with uh with mike just scarfing his his pop pop tarts scarving his egos before he you know ran downstairs it kind of highlights this great chemistry that he and nancy have together of just being the bickering siblings yeah she's looking at him eating his his egg i'm like man that's so gross why are you doing that and he's basically like how was studying last night were you studying human anatomy i mean it's just (laughs) just... and the and the mother being so (laughs) clueless that she doesn't even get catch on she's like what are you guys talking about you know she's so focused on the on the baby on the the third child that she doesn't even have any clue that these kids these older kids are doing what they're doing well this was a good episode uh to discuss i I really enjoyed this conversation and that's that's going to wrap up this episode of aos adam what do we have coming up well episode three or chapter three i should say Uh, is next and it's called holly jolly and this one is directed by sean levy fantastic or sean levy 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 i'm gonna say both until we know sean levy sean levy and you can edit in the right the right one (laughs) (laughs) thanks for giving me the option there i might just leave both those in that might be funnier right how the sausage is made there (laughs) but we talked about him earlier as uh he was very crucial in helping to get this show seen and picked up by Netflix. And he's a prolific producer and film director uh, of his own. So clearly doing an episode of TV here was um, not something, it wasn't something out of his wheelhouse at all, but clearly he's, he's typically works in, in film. So he, uh, he clearly has a, a stake in this, in this series and wants it to be successful. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of tonal differences in the next episode compared to the first two, which were, all, which were both directed by the Duffer Brothers. So it's not a stranger thing for him to direct one of these episodes? It, it is not. Uh-huh. Yeah, that dad joke's going to come up a lot, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and joining this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. We are out of here.